Chapter 21 of The World's Famous Orations, Volume 1 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew J. Philologus the World's Famous Orations, Volume 1, by Various, Chapter 21 Demosthenes, On the Crown, 330 B.C. Born in 384 B.C., died in 322, entered public life when about 25 years old, and from that time till his death, his history is the history of Athens. Sixty of his speeches preserved, though some probably are spurious. His masterpiece, indeed, the masterpiece of oratory, is the Oration on the Crown. Footnote Delivered in Athens, 330 B.C., Translation by Charles R. Kennedy Abridged The most finished, says R. C. Jeb, the most splendid, and the most pathetic work of ancient eloquence. End footnote I begin, men of Athens, by praying to every god and goddess that the same good will which I have ever cherished toward the commonwealth, and all of you, may be requited to me on the present trial. I pray likewise, and this specially concerns yourselves, your religion, and your honor, that the gods may put it in your minds not to take counsel of my opponent touching the manner in which I am to be heard, that would indeed be cruel, but of the laws and of your oath, wherein, besides the other obligations, it is prescribed that you shall hear both sides alike. This means not only that you must pass no pre-condemnation, not only that you must extend your good will equally to both, but also that you must allow the parties to adopt such order and course of defense as they severally choose and prefer. Many advantages hath Iskines over me on this trial, and two especially, men of Athens. First, my risk in the contest is not the same. It is assuredly not the same for me to forfeit your regard as for my adversary not to succeed in his indictment. To me, but I will say nothing untoward at the outset of my address. The prosecution, however, is play to him. My second disadvantage is the natural disposition of mankind 
to take pleasure in hearing invective and accusation, and to be annoyed by those who praise themselves. To Iskines is assigned the part which gives pleasure, that which is, I may fairly say, offensive to all, is left for me. And if, to escape from this, I make no mention of what I have done, I shall appear to be without defense against his charges, without proof of my claims to honor. Whereas, if I proceed to give an account of my conduct and measures, I shall be forced to speak frequently of myself. I will endeavor then to do so with all becoming modesty. What I am driven to do by the necessity of the case will be fairly chargeable to my opponent, who has instituted such a prosecution. I think, men of the jury, you will all agree that I, as well as Ctesiphon, am a party to this proceeding, and that it is a matter of no less concern to me. It is painful and grievous to be deprived of anything, especially by the act of one's enemy, but your goodwill and affection are the heaviest loss, precisely as they are the greatest prize to gain. Had Iskines confined his charge to the subject of the prosecution, I too would have proceeded at once to my justification of the decree. But since he has wasted no fewer words in the discussion of other matters, in most of them calumniating me, I deem it both necessary and just, men of Athens, to begin by shortly adverting to these points, that none of you may be induced by extraneous arguments to shut your ears against my defense to the indictment. To all his scandalous abuse of my private life, observe my plain and honest answer. If you know me to be such as he alleged, or I have lived nowhere else but among you, let not my voice be heard, however transcendent my statesmanship. Rise up this instant and condemn me. But if, in your opinion and judgment, I am far better and of better descent than my adversary, if, to speak without offense, I am not inferior, I or mine, to any respectable citizens, then give no credit to him for his other statements. It is plain they were all equally fictions, but to me let the same good will which you have uniformly exhibited upon many former trials be manifested now. With all your malice, Iskines, it was very simple to suppose that I should turn from the discussion of measures and policy to notice your scandal. 
I will do no such thing. I am not so crazed. Your lies and calumnies about my political life I will examine forthwith. For that loose ribaldry, I shall have a word hereafter, if the jury desire to hear it. The crimes whereof I am accused are many and grievous. For some of them the laws enact heavy, most severe penalties. The scheme of this present proceeding includes a combination of spiteful insolence, insult, railing, aspersion, and everything of the kind. While for the said charges and accusations, if they were true, the state has not the means of inflicting an adequate punishment, or anything like it. For it is not right to debar another of access to the people and privilege of speech. Moreover, to do so by way of malice and insult by heaven is neither honest nor constitutional nor just. If the crimes which he saw me committing against the state were as heinous as he so tragically gave out, he ought to have enforced the penalties of the law against them at the time. If he saw me guilty of an impeachable offense, by impeaching and so bringing me to trial before you, if moving illegal decrees, by indicting me for them. For surely, if he can prosecute Ctesiphon on my account, he would not have forborne to indict me myself, had he thought he could convict me. In short, whatever else he saw me doing to your prejudice, whether mentioned or not mentioned in his catalogue of slander, there are laws for such things, and punishments, and trials, and judgments, with sharp and severe penalties, all of which he might have enforced against me. And had he done so, had he thus pursued the proper method with me, his charges would have been consistent with his conduct. But now he has declined the straightforward and just course, avoided all proofs of guilt at the time, and after this long interval gets up to play his part with all. A heap of accusation, ribaldry, and scandal. Then he arraigns me, but prosecutes the defendant. What, then, were the statements made by Iskines, through which everything was lost? That you should not be alarmed by Philip's having passed Thermopylae, that all would be as you desired, if you kept quiet, and in two or three days you would hear, he was their friend to whom he had come as an enemy, and that their enemy to whom he had come as a friend. It was not words that cemented attachments, such was his solemn phrase, but identity of interest. 
and it was the interest of all alike, Philip, the Phocians, and you, to be relieved from the harshness and insolence of the Thebans. His assertions were heard by some with pleasure, on account of the hatred which then subsisted against the Thebans. But what happened directly, almost immediately afterward? The wretched Phocians were destroyed, their cities demolished. You that kept quiet and trusted to Iskines were shortly bringing in your effects out of the country while Iskines received gold, and yet more, while you got nothing but your enmity with the Thebans and Thessalians, Philip won their gratitude for what he had done. When you had been deceived by Philip through the agency of these men, who sold themselves in the embassies and reported not a word of truth to you, when the unhappy Phocians had been deceived and their cities destroyed, what followed? The despicable Thessalians and stupid Thebans looked on Philip as a friend, a benefactor, a savior. He was everything with them. Not a syllable would they hear from anyone to the contrary. You, though regarding his acts with suspicion and anger, still observed the peace, for you could have done nothing alone. The rest of the Greeks, cheated and disappointed like yourselves, gladly observed the peace, though they also had in a manner been attacked for a long time. For when Philip was marching about, subduing Illyrians and Trebalians, and some also of the Greeks, and gaining many considerable accessions of power, and certain citizens of the states, Iskines among them, took advantage of the peace to go there and be corrupted. All people then, against whom he was making such preparations, were attacked. If they perceived it not, that is another question, no concern of mine. I was forever warning and protesting, both at Athens and wheresoever I was sent. But the states were diseased. One class in their politics and measures being venal and corrupt, while the multitude of private men either had no foresight or were caught with the bait of present ease and idleness and all were under some such influence. Only they imagined each that the mischief would not approach themselves, but that by the peril of others they might secure their own safety when they chose. The result, I fancy, has been that the people, in return for their gross and unseasonable indolence, have lost their liberty. The statesmen, who imagined they were selling everything but themselves, discovered they had sold themselves first. For instead of friends, as they were named during the period of bribery, they are now called parasites and miscreants and the like befitting names.
justly. For no man, O Athenians, spends money for the traitor's benefit, or when he has got possession of his purchase, employs the traitor to advise him in future proceedings, else nothing could have been more fortunate than a traitor. But it is not so. It never could be. It is far otherwise. When the aspirant for power has gained his object, he is a master also of those that sold it. And then, then I say, knowing their baseness, he loathes and mistreats and spurns them. Consider only, for though the time of the events has passed, the time for understanding them is ever present to the wise. Lasthenes was called the friend of Philip for a while, until he betrayed Olynthus. Timaleus for a while, until he destroyed Thebes. Eutychus and Simus of Larissa for a while, until they brought Thessaly under Philip's power. Since then the world has become full of traitors, expelled and insulted, and suffering every possible calumny. How fared Aristratus in Sicyon? How Perilaeus in Megara? Are they not outcasts? Hence one may evidently see it is the vigilant defender of his country, the strenuous opponent of such men, who secures to you traitors and hirelings, Aeschines, the opportunity of getting bribes. Through the number of those that oppose your wishes, you are in safety and in pay. For had it depended on yourselves, you would have perished long ago. Much more could I say about those transactions, yet methinks too much has been said already. The fault is my adversaries, for having spirited over me the dregs, I may say, of his own wickedness and iniquities, of which I was obliged to clear myself to those who are younger than the events. You too have probably been disgusted, who knew this man's venality before I spoke a word. He calls it friendship indeed, and said somewhere in his speech, The man who reproaches me with the friendship of Alexander. I reproach you with the friendship of Alexander? Whence gotten, or how merited? Neither Philip's friend nor Alexander's should I ever call you. I am not so mad, unless we are to call reapers and other hired laborers, the friends of those that hire them. That, however, is not so. How could it be? It is nothing of the kind. Philip's hireling I called you once, and Alexander's I call you now. So do all these men. If you disbelieve me, ask them. Or rather, I will do it for you. Athenians, is Aeschines, think ye, the hireling, or the friend of Alexander. You hear what they say. Philip started, men of Athens, with a great advantage. It happened that among the Greeks, not some but all alike, 
there sprang up a crop of traitors and venal wretches, such as in the memory of man had never been before. These he got for his agents and supporters, the Greeks, already ill-disposed and unfriendly to each other, he brought into a still worse state, deceiving this people, making presents to that, corrupting others in every way. And he split them into many parties, when they had all one interest, to prevent his aggrandizement. While the Greeks were all in such a condition, in such ignorance of the gathering and growing mischief, you have to consider, men of Athens, what policy and measures it became the commonwealth to adopt, and of this to receive a reckoning from me, for the man who assumed that post in the administration was I. But I return to the question, what should the commonwealth, Iskines, have done when she saw Philip establishing an empire and dominion over Greece? Or what was your statesman to advise or move, I as statesman at Athens? For this is most material. I who knew that from the earliest time until the day of my own mounting the platform, our country had ever striven for precedency and honor and renown and expended more blood and treasure for the sake of glory and the general weal than the rest of the Greeks had expended on their several interests, who saw that Philip himself, with whom we were contending, had in the strife for power and empire had his eye cut out, his collarbone fractured, his hand and leg mutilated, and was ready and willing to sacrifice any part of his body that fortune chose to take, provided he could live with the remainder in honor and glory. Hardly will anyone venture to say this, that it became a man bred at Pila, then an obscure and inconsiderable place, to possess such inborn magnanimity as to aspire to the mastery of Greece and form the project in his mind. While you, who were Athenians, day after day in speeches and in dramas, reminded of the virtue of your ancestors, should have been so naturally base as of your own free will and accord to surrender to Philip the liberty of Greece. No man will say this, the only course, then, that remained was a just resistance to all his attacks upon you. Such course you took from the beginning, properly and becomingly, and I assisted by motions and counsels during the period of my political life. I acknowledge it. But what should I have done? Was it meet that any of the Greeks should rise up to prevent these proceedings or not? If not, if Greece was to present the spectacle, as it is called, of a Mysian prey, while Athenians had life and being, then I have exceeded my duty in speaking on the subject. The commonwealth has exceeded her duty 
which followed my counsels. I admit that every measure has been a misdeed, a blunder of mine. But if someone ought to have arisen to prevent these things, who but the Athenian people should it have been? Such then was the policy which I espoused. I saw him reducing all men to subjection, and I opposed him. I continued warning and exhorting you not to make these sacrifices to Philip. When Philip, therefore, was driven out of Euboea, with arms by you, with counsels and decrees, though some persons there should burst, by me, he sought some new position of attack upon Athens. Seeing that we use more foreign corn than any people, and wishing to command the passage of the corn trade, he advanced to Thrace. The Byzantines being his allies, he first required them to join in the war against you. And when they refused, saying truly enough that they had not made alliance on such terms, he threw up entrenchments before the city, planted batteries, and laid siege to it. What course hereupon it became you to take, I will not ask again. It is manifest to all. But who was it that succored the Byzantines and rescued them? who prevented the alienation of the Hellespont at that crisis. You, men of Athens, when I say you, I mean the commonwealth. But who advised, framed, executed the measures of the state, devoted himself wholly and unreservedly to the public business? I, what benefits thence accrued to all, you need no further be told. You have learned by experience for the war which then sprang up, besides that it brought honor and renown, kept you in a cheaper and more plentiful supply of all the necessities of life than does the present peace, which these worthies maintain to their country's prejudice in the hope of something to come. Perish such hope. Never may they share the blessings for which you men of honest wishes pray to the gods, or communicate their own principles to you. Thus the saving of the Chersonesus and Byzantium, the preventing Philip's conquest of the Hellespont, and the honors therefore bestowed on this country, were the effects of my policy and administration. And more than this, they proved to all mankind the generosity of the Athenians, and the baseness of Philip. He, the ally and friend of the Byzantines, was before all eyes besieging them. What could be more shameful or outrageous? You who might justly on many grounds have reproached them for wrongs done you in former times, instead of bearing malice and abandoning the oppressed, appeared as their deliverers, Conduct which procured you glory, goodwill, honors from all men. That you have crowned many of your statesmen, everyone knows. But through what other person, I mean what minister or orator, besides myself, the commonwealth has been crowned, no one can say. 
Well then, men of Athens, when the Lacedaemonians had the empire of land and sea, and held the country round Attica by governors and garrisons, Euboea, Tanagra, all Boeotia, Megara, Aegina, Cleonae, the other islands, when our state possessed neither ships nor walls, you marched out to Heliartus, and again not many days after to Corinth, albeit the Athenians of that time had many causes of resentment against both Corinthians and Thebans for their acts in the Decelian War, but they showed no resentment, none. And yet neither of these steps took they, Eskenes, for benefactors, nor were they blind to the danger. But they would not, for such reasons, abandon people who sought their protection. For the sake of renown and glory, they willingly exposed themselves to peril. Just and noble was their resolve. For to all mankind the end of life is death though one keep oneself shut up in a closet. But it becomes brave men to strive always for honor, with good hope before them, and to endure courageously whatever the deity ordains. Thus did your ancestors, thus the elder among yourselves. For though the Lacedaemonians were neither friends nor benefactors, but had done many grievous injuries to our state. Yet when the Thebans, victorious at Lauctra, sought their destruction, you prevented it, not fearing the power and reputation then possessed by the Thebans, nor reckoning up the merits of those whom you were about to fight for. And so you demonstrated to all the Greeks that however any people may offend you, you reserve your anger against them for other occasions. But should their existence or liberty be imperiled, you will not resent your wrongs or bring them into account. End chapter 21